Welcome everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on the Apple Podcast Store under the Burnt Orange Nation podcast feed. Uh, you can also subscribe wherever you find your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you get fine podcast content. You can subscribe, share it with your friends, wherever you find it. You can also connect with us on Twitter at LonghornPod. You can shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com, and follow us on Facebook. Longhorn Republic is where we are at. Well, my name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who does not believe in any sort of Sports Illustrated jinxes, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? I mean, we all know that there are more severe jinxes. Um, there's obviously the Madden uh, cover jinx, the uh, the Texas tight end jinx that used to be a thing but has since obviously uh, been broken. Shouts out to Cade Brewer snagging a one-handed catch in the back of the end zone um, in the scrimmage this week. You know, this is um, this is nothing but good. When you're back, as you know, Texas is, uh, you often get on the covers of publications. What can I say about that? It's a good week. Uh, good week for me, G. Uh, you, you ready? Football is football's close. I can feel it. I live like right around the corner from a high school, and so I hear the band practicing in the mornings, which. That is just literal and metaphoric music to my ears, right? Like hearing the drums waft over as the sun rises and I get my son in the car to go to daycare and he says, Daddy, what's that? I was like, it's the most wonderful time of the year, son. Uh, so <laughs> it's it's just, it's, it's the best time of the year. So uh, Texas was featured on the regional cover of Sports Illustrated, Sam Ellinger, uh, going to defy and break the Sports Illustrated cover curse. Uh, Texas was number five in their preseason poll and then not to outdo themselves. A week later, Sports Illustrated named Texas as the number four college football program of all time behind Alabama, Ohio State, and Michigan. Now, all that being said, I think that list is pretty trash because OU is at eight, and eight is way too low for OU. Respect yeah. to our brother. But when the S&P Plus gets involved, Texas still sits at number four for all time. Uh, when you exclude everything before World War I, um, Texas drops to number eight, but still is uh, in the top ten when you look at it. So good stuff from the Longhorns all time. We've got a great show for you. Uh, we're going to talk about Texas and its first scrimmage on uh, Sunday. Fireworks in the first scrimmage. We've got another, our last schedule preview with Albie Shore, which is one of my favorite names in all of college football coverage. Uh, we've got another, I'm almost tired of saying it, almost, big week of recruiting. And we'll down the 40, and then we'll obviously close the show out with some bang the drum. So, Kyle, you alluded to it off the top. The offense won the Sunday scrimmage on a last-second Drive So Cade Brewer with the one-handed snag. The curse of Jermichael Finley is officially over. On a Sam Ellinger scramble felt much like uh, Dwight Clark in the corner of the end zone. There was a lot to come out of this scrimmage. But overall, from what you're reading, from what you're hearing, from what you're seeing, 
I'm feeling pretty solid about what Texas had to say or what Texas put on the field uh, on on Sunday. Well, and, and I think, you know, there was a couple things, right? We want the offense to look good because we expect them to be the, the kind of bell cow for the team um, this year. But we wanted the defense to be right there with them. And it seems like both of those things uh, happened. The coaches even, even paid uh, particular praise to the linebackers, a group that you and I have gone on record multiple times saying is a position we're kind of watching the closest and with uh, maybe the, the um, most consternation bringing in just to make sure that, you know, is that going to be an area of weakness or can they transition and can kind of uh, Orlando scheme uh, up to the most potential and kind of around any uh, shortcomings of at least established stars there. But they looked uh, looked like a good unit, um, according to all who saw. Um, and then uh, there, you know, the secondary kind of played out. Uh, about how we thought, but the cornerbacks are, are looking good and looking like there's probably four, maybe even five guys in that group who are going to see the field and, and there's not a huge drop off um, amongst them. So that's, it's a good thing. It's, it's a good thing uh, all around. We're seeing some good plays um, from both sides of the ball, which if that's going to be the case, this can be a very scary team and Texas can live up to, to all of the, the aforementioned uh, preseason hype. You hit it. You hit the nail on the head. Like if this is the defense being as good as the offense, we think it is then I'm excited. If this is the offense being as as shaky as we think the defense could be early on, then I'm worried, right? And so yeah. it depends on what actually was on the paper. I think the biggest thing for me was we got to look at probably what the starting offensive line group is going to be. So from left to right, Cosme, Angelau, uh, Shackelford, Kerstetter, and Okafor. Herman mentioned specifically they've got about six guys that they're confident in, and I know they like to have somewhere in the realm of uh, seven or eight guys, so still trying to figure out who those other three guys are going to, two or three guys going to be. Uh, but I like that group. Like Sam Cosme, we know what he brings to the table. One of the best offensive linemen, or will be one of the best offensive linemen in the conference before it's all said and done. Junior Angelau is a guy that, um, when you looked at like the offseason workout videos that Yancey McKnight was posting, that dude just looks the part. Like when I look at a guard, like Cosme just looks the part. Shackelford, we obviously know what he brings to the table. Kerstetter and Okafor, um, they've been good. They, they've had some, some spots where they could improve, but they've been good. So I think this offense is going to be as good as the offensive line. I think Ellinger can be great if he has a good offensive line, if the offensive line can set up for the run game, which we'll mention here in just a moment. Um, so I think there's a potential, and I think that potential begins and ends for the offense in the trenches. Now, uh, to speak of the run game, Keontae Ingram uh, was injured in the scrimmage. Uh, he had a, a bone bruise on his knee. It looks like a minor thing. Uh, he's going to miss some practice, but the team doctors uh, and Coach Herman himself uh, say he should be available for week one, which is good. Um, if he is unavailable, and Texas only brings two scholarship running backs into the season opener with Jordan Whittington and Daniel Young. Kirk O'Grines will be sidelined for at least six weeks with a, a clavicle injury, right? I think mm -hmm. it was. Yeah. Um, so the running back room is still thin. So that worries me just a little. Well, and, and I think we kind of said that. We said, let's, you know, this isn't a position group that we're worried about the talent. We're worried about the depth because you have four guys. And, and really, I mean, you have to say three and a half and no knock on him, but just Kirk Johnson, unfortunately, has been riddled. And I don't know if he just is, is built like 
you know, a a Super Saiyan version of Mr. Glass. Um, he just, he's buff, he's jacked, he looks like a monster, but he somehow seems to just, his body can't take it and he gets hurt every year. And a guy we, we've really been rooting for and are hoping that he'll be able to make it back and still have an impact uh, in his final year on campus. But uh, yeah, you, you're right. I mean, you, you go to basically an unproven freshman in Jordan Whittington and Daniel Young, who we're hoping, you know, can take the steps forward, does have some carries under his belt, but you know, wasn't our featured back last year um, behind Keonta Ingram. So this is an area that we want our, our best and brightest trainers and medical staff and ice baths and, uh, and, and heat treatments and everything reserved for. Um, we we want to make sure that the, the players who can be game changers in that room, uh, especially at the top in, in Ingram and, and uh, Whittington, get the chance to, to do that all season long. So make sure you throw up a few, few Hail Marys, um, you know, uh, do your, do your, uh, weekly mass, give a, give an extra candle lighting, uh, for, for the running backs at Texas. And let's, let's, uh, let's keep some health over that group. And, uh, again, that'll, that'll be a huge part in, in this team being, uh, as good as they potentially can be. I trust the team doctors. I trust the medical professionals. I am far from a medical professional. I avoid medical professionals at all costs <laughs> on most occasions. Um, so I got I got nothing to say about it. But I think Whittington's super talented, but he's a freshman. Mm-hmm. He's a mm-hmm. he's a 19-year-old, right? And I don't think we've seen everything Danny Young has to offer, but I don't know if Danny Young can give everything Danny Young has to offer at this point. I've, I've just yet to see it. Uh, we see flashes of it, but it hasn't been consistent. Uh, the other injury news out of the scrimmage was that uh, toward the end, I think it was on the last play, Caden Stearns rolled his ankle looking at a low-grade high ankle sprain. Um, they say he's again, will be available for week one, but ankle sprains are just tough, especially the high ankle yeah. sprain. Yeah. It's a tough, nagging injury, and he's a guy that's still learning how to play at the college level. He he mentioned it that his biggest thing he wants to do is be able to uh, move on and, and take you know mentally and take a leadership role. And so these nagging lower body injuries for him continue to uh, crop up and derail the start to his career. Well, and, and even the fact that they're saying he should be available for week one is promising. Sometimes you just get depending on. Uh, how severe a high ankle sprain is. Sometimes you get a blanket like six weeks, like you're out. Um, that that can just be the diagnosis. So, uh, again, hoping it's not lingering and hoping that it is truly just a knock and that, um, you know, he'll be ready to do all the things you expect from uh, the Wolf of DKR. You know, obviously having an ankle that you can pivot on to break to intercept passes and then take them back to the house, you need two healthy ankles. So um, here's hoping that that heals up for the, the pride of SEUCISD. Whatever, I'm going to jinx us. Knock on wood, throw some salt all over your shoulder, whatever you do. But if he needs to sit against Louisiana Tech, I think Texas uh, should be okay. Again, I can't say much for week ones under Tom Herman, uh, but I don't think they'll be overlooking uh, Louisiana Tech in the same way they did Maryland simply because, thank you, Terry Bradshaw. We are a mere eight. 18 days away from the Texas Longhorn kickoff. We are in the last week of our season preview, and we tr- we probably saved the best for last. So we've got uh, the man, the myth, the legend, Albie Shore on from Viva the Matador. Then, Albie, how are you doing today? What is up, guys? I don't know how much Longhorn fans are going to appreciate me beyond the pod because, you know, y'all are all a bunch of haters, um, <laughs> each and every single one of you. All right, I'm on this pod to just rile everyone up. That's Good. my whole game. We we have we've had consecutive weeks of folks who came on and 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 claimed they could outtake the previous guests. So uh, we went from 
Iowa State to to Baylor to we're expecting big things from from the tech contingent here. I mean, it depends which tech can, which tech guy do you want me to be? Do you want me to just be like the outlandish, <laughs> like uh, just drunk, crazy Red Raider, or the rare modest humble Red Raider? Whichever one comes more naturally to you, I think is the. Okay. <laughs> I don't I don't know if that's what you want. <laughs> I got the I got the beep button ready now. So, um, so what we're doing? Just if this is your first week with us, we are going week by week through Texas's schedule, just getting a preview of the teams on their schedule. And we brought in uh, experts from from the sites and the people that know them the best because, well, they know them the best. So let's let's get started, and we we got to start with the head man uh, for the Red Raiders. So for the first time since 2013. Tech has a new head coach. Uh, they parted ways with Cliff Kingsbury after a uh, tough close to the end of last season. Matt Wells comes in after going 44-34 and 34 at Utah State. Um, so what should we expect from the Red Raiders under at, under Matt Wells? Because he's an offensive guy too. So like, what, what should look different or could look different uh, in 2019 and beyond? So with Matt Wells, um, on the offensive side of the ball, I'm still excited, right? So you're not really going to see much of the quote-unquote air raid that we've come to know and love from Texas Tech. It's not going to – we haven't seen a Mike Leach air raid since Mike Leach has been gone. So, like, let's kind of get that out of the way. Like, so with Cliff Kingsbury's air raid wasn't really an air raid. Um, it was more of a spread offense, and I think you'll see a little bit more of that. I do think you'll see us run the ball a lot more. Um, we have Tazon Henry, who is going to be a sophomore running back this year, is a very talented back. Like, he he has the tools to really be – maybe not a feature back, but a definitely a very good change of pace back. And I think Wells uh, and company is going to do what it takes to change on the offensive side of the ball. I'm on the defensive side of the ball because Matt Wells actually cares about defense. That's something that <laughs> Kings Ray didn't really care too much of. Matt Wells actually cares about defense. <laughs> And uh, Keith Patterson, I think, has done a really good job uh, before on defense and be trying to bring his defensive intellect to Tech. But the problem that I have with it is that you have to be very smart to play his defense. And it takes a certain type of player to play, play – type of players to play his defense. I don't know if we have those players in year one. That is my question. I think we have a talent – I think talent-wise, bit for bit, this is one of the more talented defenses we've had in years. But – I don't know how smart they are, and that's the problem. It's a multi-D. It's a D that one play can be a 3-4. The next play can be a 4-2-5. Like, it's, it takes a certain type of player, and the reason why successful at Utah State was a two-star player can look like a five-star player in a multi-D when you're outsmarting everybody else. But a five-star player can look like a Juco player when you don't know what the hell you're doing. So I don't know what to expect on the defensive side of the ball. Um, offensively, like I said, I do think that, that the offensive, uh, that Matt Wells will have the offense running very well. Uh, the problem is we're just not that good offensively. So, uh, I think we have talent here and there. Like I said, with Henry, with Vasher, with Bowman, of course, really good quarterback. Um, mm-hmm. I just, with a new head coach, I don't expect much. If we make a bowl game, yay. That's about where I'm at right now. Um, and then also, uh, Cliff Kingsbury and Tommy Tuberville have completely like just killed any expectations I have for football season in general. So um, we just drink until December when basketball starts. <laughs> uh, man, I, I, I'm glad we see the type of uh, 
the type of response we're going to get. It's going to be a good time, I think. But uh, so Coach Wells, to kind of transition, he took uh, a guy named Jordan Love over at Utah State and turned him into a potential lottery pick this year. Um, so you have, uh, or after, if he continues to have another good year this year, um, a player who could be, you know, in the in the short list, the argument for top uh, quarterback in the Big 12, you reference him, uh, obviously, is, is Alan Bowman. And, and we saw the lung kind of uh, injury. He had a collapsed lung last season that, that held him out um, for – not the entirety of the season. Um, what do we What do we expect uh, looking at him if he can stay healthy and play an entire season um, again under a coach who knows how to uh, use a good quarterback? What are your What are your expectations for him specifically? So Alan Bowman could be one of the best, if not the best, quarterback in the Big Twelve. He's that. I think he's that good. I do think he's next in line as the great tech quarterback. Um, now, when I look at Alan Bowman, I don't necessarily look see a Pat Mahomes by any stretch of the imagination. But he does see – I do see a guy that could potentially be like a Seth Dagey, mm-hmm. right? Seth Dagey was very solid, did what he had to do. And actually, I think Bowman's more athletic than Dagey was, so that actually helps. Um, Bowman is accurate, which is more important than anything – anything else i think the main thing with bowman is he has to stay healthy because he couldn't stay healthy whatsoever in his freshman season so he has to stay healthy and is he has to be able to take in all that matt wells is uh, all that uh, matt wells is, is giving him all that the offensive coaches are giving him because it's going to be a lot as well he's transitioning to a completely new system a new offense so can he take in all of that uh, but i think if he succeeds really the team's going to go as far as he is if he takes that next step after being basically the main starter last year, if he takes that next step, team could be really good. Maybe, who knows? Maybe we'll win seven games, right? <laughs> maybe we'll be back to prominence. Um, <laughs> but maybe we'll, you know, maybe we can win a little bit more, seven, eight games. But um, if he doesn't, then it's going to be a really long season. And so that's kind of where you are there. I actually think he'll be solid. I think he'll kind of continue what he had, li- what he did last year. Um, I don't really know, think he's the best quarterback in the Big 12. I do think Brock Purdy at Iowa State is really good. I think Charlie Brewer in his senior year at Baylor is going to be pretty good. Um, uh, I think he's better than the quarterback y'all got. But <laughs> uh, I think that I think that Bowman is, is – uh, I think he does have potential to be pretty good. But, again, it's only a sophomore year, so – uh, we could see some problems there. So remember, Davis Webb was pretty good in his freshman year too, and Lord Jesus, was he terrible afterwards? So <laughs> I got nothing to say. <laughs> I was not expecting a Davis Webb reference uh, at any at any point in the podcast, but you never know. So Bowman did take a take a big hit to his receiving core uh, with with Antoine Wesley and uh, Jadion High both in the NFL. Uh, with them goes a whopping twenty two hundred. Receiving yards, which is just nuts. Uh, TJ Vasher flashed a bit last year, showed off quite a bit. Um, but Wells and Purdy both like to spread the ball around in the passing game when the, when the ball does come, go through the air. So who's going to join Vasher as kind of that next man up in, in that great lineage of Texas Tech wide receivers? So I'm glad you brought up Vasher because he's a beast. Uh, he's got to be consistent. That's really his only thing. But he is probably one of the best um, jump ball catchers in the entire mm-hmm. country. Um, the guy should be Seth Collins, Oregon State transfer, was playing last year. That should be the guy. That should be the guy that's really taking over for Gideon High, being like that slot receiver that's just faster than everybody else in, in, in that lineage. But he just hurt his collarbone. And a collarbone injury, though you're out for maybe, let's say, four weeks, it really bothers you the entire year. So it's really hard to say. Outside of those two, it gets a little muddy, right? Um, I really like Kashawn Carter. 
He was a freshman last year. He's going to be a sophomore. That guy is fast. So, so fast. He was part of the national championship track and field team. Um, I really like Sean Carter. I think he'll be um, a really big contributor on this team. I think he can be. Will he be is another question, but I think he can be because, like I said, he is stupid fast. Um, but other guys to really look out for, Miller Royals, another guy who is stupid fast, another fast guy who's young. So these are guys that Kingsbury basically – Kingsbury's best recruiting class was on his way out. And so these are guys mm-hmm. that he recruited on his way out that on the receiving core that are both cutesy playing time this year. And then, you know, people listening, got the white guys. The white guys are pretty good. All right, Sterling Galban, McLean Mannix, um, and even even Kaden Leggett. Like these are really good receivers that they're I, I, I talk McLean Mannix has gotten all the love in training camp so far. Like, so he's a guy that I wasn't even looking at coming into the season and I'm seeing his name every other day as a guy that's just shine. So he's a guy that could be go from no name to everyday starter. It would not shock me at all that many times I'm hearing his name as well, but for sure. Um, you know, I can't, I can't miss him. I can't, I'd be remiss to not mention the great white guy receivers we have. I mean, I, I, you don't have to elaborate, but I just imagine the, the gritty lunch pail coach on the field type uh, reviews that, that McLean Mannix and others are getting. And just I'll leave it at that. brings his hard hat, goes to work. <laughs> yeah. He just, every day, he just, he just punches really the clock. Deceptively fast, great route runner. Yeah. I... <laughs> Sterling Galban is actually legitimately fast. Like, not like deceptively fast, but he's actually can run. His problem is, is that he has Miller Royals and Kashawn Carter who were like four three forty type guys. Yeah, they're yeah. like stupid fast. So when he comes in running like a four five forty, you're just like, oh, okay, that's cute. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did. I trust me. I, it's, I my my brother was a was a one of those types of white receivers who uh, was was a um, a sub four four guy and and got called deceptively fast and I can't quite figure out what was deceptive. Uh, but anyways, um, I will uh, I will leave it there and move to the other side of the ball. Um, so last year, Red Raiders, I think showed. From some of the worst defenses, if you think back through the tech years, some improvement, but did have trouble keeping people out of the end zone. Um, they bring back six people, however, including Jordan Brooks and uh, leading, I think, tackler, I believe, and Adrian Fry, who uh, was second on the team in tackles. So you're bringing some experience back, but there is a new system. So you mentioned it earlier. You, you They're going to coach it up. They're going to focus on it. But what do you expect year one? So I will say, and I'm about to hop on your pod and try to steal some recruits. Recruits, if you're listening to this, if you come to Texas Tech as a defender, you have no expectations. All right? <laughs> it's fantastic. Last year, like y'all said, we struggled to keep people out of the secondary. But in Lubbock, it was a, they were godsends, right? Like last two years on defense, people like the expectations are so low that it doesn't matter how, if as long as you're not like in the hundreds in defense, right. you're good. <laughs> Right. So last year was probably some of the best defense we've had in years and people praised it so much. But when you look back on it, you're right. It was a average defense at best. Right. Probably more below average. But in Lubbock, it was legendary. Right. Because the expectations are very low. So this year, I actually think, like I said, I think talent wise, we actually might be better than last year. Like like pure person for person talent. I think it might be better, even though we're losing Dakota Allen, who is Mm -hmm. will go down as, as just a great tech linebacker while he was here his story was incredible everything about and the guy is one of the best guys like he's a legitimately great guy and so i think he will go down as a fantastic linebacker especially in a dark period during tech's defense um defensive days but 
person for person, I actually think the defense might be better. Their biggest problem, like I said earlier, is that the defense is going to be very tough to think about. And a lot of times with defenders, the better defense is just a simpler defense. So it's going to be interesting to see who is going to be able to kind of make their way through it. Now, Jordan Brooks is going to be the main guy for us. Uh, he's the star. On the, he's probably the second most talented player on the team, uh, only behind Jack Anderson, who will be a NFL player um, on, on the offensive line. But Jordan Brooks is a very talented guy. Adrian Fry, another guy that you mentioned, uh, a guy that I thought should have been first team all Big 12 last year. That's how good of a season I thought he had last year. Uh, mm. He'll be back again. Um, now, And then also another guy that we didn't mention is Eli Howard. Eli Howard um he's put all the adjectives you want for white dns as far as <laughs> deceptively fast quick you know all that other stuff you his know, motor never stops oh, actually that, that's funny you said that that's literally what everybody says about him um but, uh <laughs> eli howard actually is going to be probably the star on the him and Broderick washington the star on the d-line uh guys that have been veterans have played on, on the tech defense for a while. Um, I wish I could say they knew what they were doing, but with a new defense, I don't know. I think defense, if Kingsbury had been given another year, defensive coordinator Gibbs would have had a field day with his defense. Unfortunately, he does not. So we'll, we'll really see how good the defense is going to be. It wouldn't shock me if we end the season and we are the 110th best defense in the nation again. It also wouldn't shock me if we were the 50th best defense in the nation. I don't know what to expect because of this very complicated multi-D system that we're playing. It really just is going to go to show just how smart these guys are. We'll see. One of the things that I like to ask these, the, the experts that we bring on, because Kyle and I are getting you on for your expert opinion, we, we came up with these as outsiders. So what's something that maybe you are looking at uh, as a success factor for Texas Tech uh, or a differentiator for Texas Tech that, that people outside the program or outside the, the Texas Tech sphere probably aren't looking at? So one thing I will say, and I, and I say this to y'all as, as outsiders, but I have to also say this to, like, tech fans as well, right, is that when it comes to Matt Wells, I was not a fan of the Matt Wells hire. I'd say um, I'd say the majority of tech fans weren't fans of the Matt Wells hire, but they've tricked themselves into believing that it's a great hire. Um, but Matt Wells' biggest thing coming from Utah State is that he was really good at coaching guys up. So he was really good at taking guys that weren't that talented and having them play better than their potential. And so what I'll say from that is even though I don't have high expectations from this team, even though I don't have high expectations whatsoever, and nobody should, if he was to finish the season eight wins, nine wins, it wouldn't shock me because he, you're going to see guys like McLean Mannix, who you never heard of, that could have potentially really good years. Guys that are just going to come out of the blue. It won't shock me if guys, like I've mentioned on this podcast, have bad years and their backup replaces them and that backup has good years because he's really good at coaching certain players up and just not as good of getting other players that just can't buy into the system. So that's the only thing I will say is that this tech team could look completely different a month from now than what I'm saying right here. So basically everything I just said, erase it from your memory. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. No, neither does anybody else. <laughs> that's, a, that's a perfect, perfect close in seg. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and it's just it's more so it's more and I say that and I say that kind of as a joke but also because with the way that they coach it's it's just very different from kicks yeah everything's yeah. very disciplined you're not going to see tech be, being the uh the worst team in the uh conference when it comes to penalties you won't see that anymore 
you won't see dumb false starts. You won't see dumb holds um, because that's just not the way Matt Wells coaches. Now, what you will see, you may not, you may have a situation where the more talented guy, Matt Wells is the type of coach that he'll bench the more talented guy for the guy that's going to, that's going to do things the right way. So that's why I say that it won't, doesn't surprise me if all the guys that I'm saying that are talented end up not being able to buy in by the end of the year. It's just going to be a matter of how, just how smart, just how much these guys buy in. We'll find out. That's a great way to, uh, to segue. So those, those are the real answers we're getting from you. Now, um, we didn't prepare you for this next section. So we do a little rapid fire. We kind of throw out some, uh, some random ridiculousness that our, our fans have known to love. And I feel like you're the right guy for this. So, uh, the first thing we do with all of these, we, we like to, to start it on a positive note. Now, we did some research and, and I looked around a little bit and outside of the Texas Longhorns, which this would be a very self-serving question to ask, uh, the Baylor Bears were kind of next in line for, for those who, who tech fans consider rivals. Is that is that pretty, pretty fair? Uh, I think, no, everybody hates Baylor, right? Like, that's, I don't think that they're a rival. Everybody hates them. Like, that's not, I, I think that actually, I, in my opinion, I personally hate Oklahoma more than any team in the conference. That's just me. Okay. But I would say the tech fan base, I actually hate TCU more. Okay. I think that's the more real, if we're being honest with ourselves, like they more fit the litmus test of where we are more than any other program in the, in the conference. I think we just, we hate Texas as that whole big brother, little brother, like budding rivalry. So we always love to beat Texas. Like that's always, sure. this is the funnest team to beat. Sure. But completely understand you as Texas Longhorn fans saying like that's cute but our neighbor our neighbor Oklahoma is who we really need to beat so at the same time I look at it and say TCU is every every sport we're in TCU's right there with us like if we if tuck in football TCU sucks in football if we're good in basketball all of a sudden TCU gets good in basketball like that's how that works so it's always great to beat TCU to shut up the 10 fans that they actually have right like um <laughs> So that's, I, th- I would say that that's actually more the tech rival than Baylor. I could give two craps about Baylor. I just don't like <laughs> them. Baylor. Yeah. Okay. So, so all that being said, now, now that whole, that whole litany, which was just beautiful. I need you to say one nice thing about the Texas Christian Horn Frogs. Um, they lie really well. <laughs> Gary Patterson has been saying how we've thrown batteries for the last 10 years. I don't even think we let batteries into the stadium. Like, who's throwing batteries? Nobody throws batteries. And I've, ne- I've literally not seen one battery in Jones AT&T Stadium, but Gary Patterson continually says that we throw them. So I guess they're really good at lying because Doug Meacham just said it the other day too. Um, or, okay, what about this? Um, no, I like their black jerseys. I, okay, there's a good – That's, a nice true. That's true. I, there you go. There you go. Okay. I do like their black jerseys. Their black jerseys are really fun because, like, you know, they're – old school jerseys look terrible though so, i mean there's that that's that's fair the black jerseys are are a good look i i will give you that i also like the black and red uh tech black jerseys and, and the old ncaa games when i just had to play a quick game on people i would often uh if they said i couldn't be texas go with tech and just throw all over them in the black jersey so i get it it's a look i love it i'm gonna set you up since we're on a sartorial bent here i'm gonna take you to the next question so cliff obviously carried the big 12's weight in the coaches' looks and fashion department uh, for the better part of of the last at least half decade here. Um, So if new coach Matt Wells was to come in and adopt his own signature fashion statement or try to pick up one of Cliff's, what is the Matt Wells signature fashion statement and look? Um, I would like y'all to Google uh, middle-aged white male. (laughs) 
whatever that person is wearing is what Matt Wells would wear. So like some Air Monarchs coming in? Yeah, like 100%. Like, like Matt, Wells, Matt Wells looks like your everyday stereotypical 40-year-old father of three. Like that is 100% his brand. I respect it. Right, like he's even balding. Like he even he even balds in a normal, like, <laughs> territory of where like all middle aged white guys would bald. So like I khakis, I'm sure, khaki pants, um, <laughs> polo with the university he's working at her from. So the Texas Tech polo, khaki pants. Uh, that's yeah, that's it. Which is cool because like I didn't like our last coach who dressed very well, but he mm. couldn't. Coach. So maybe he's saying that I can't dress. But I can coach. So I like that. Mm. I don't need my coach to dress well. That's, you know, there's that. In two of the last three weeks, we found out that the coaches would rock khakis, a polo, and then some sort of matching athletic uh, shoe. So that's where it's a, it's an interesting trend in the Big 12. The, the, uh, so, the conference of norm core, baby. Who were your last two guests? You said Iowa State and Baylor? Yeah. Yeah, okay. See, they're starting to win. See, so there you go. That, that's, <laughs> that's good signs. Good signs. Okay, so uh, we we mentioned it jokingly, but Texas Tech has a a history of kind of lunch pail wide receivers, is what we'll call them, uh, the the hard hat guys. So if you had to pick between the OG Wes Welker, kind of the 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 standard Danny Amendola, or uh, or the new guy on the block, Dylan Cantrell, so it, which one of them would you say has the better credit score? <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Um, <laughs> that's funny. Uh, I feel like Wes Walker just blows money ridiculously. That's I feel like he really would. I, like, I'm pretty positive with that. I'd say Danny Amendola because I feel like while he was in New England, he just let Tom Brady pay for everything. Like, if you yeah. notice, every time you saw Danny Amendola, you saw him with Tom Brady. Like, almost everything. Him and Tom Brady and Julian Edelman were like, Tied to the hip, so you just let the rich guy pay for everything. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with Amendola. That's a good call. Yeah, oh. I will say I do find it funny that you load Cantrell in there with them too, because you realize Cantrell literally plays nothing like those two, but he is a <laughs> white guy. White. Uh, <laughs> well, then you 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 can say his NFL prospects project more to like an Ed McCaffrey. We you know something like that. <laughs> Completely random comparison. No reason those should be. Yeah, no. Billy Cantrell is an outside. He's like a six foot five outside receiver <laughs> who like ran like like he's like, like he's a pretty fast athletic. He's like the most athletic guy in the NFL combine. But you put him with like two short slot receivers. You you <laughs> you know how you're a happens. Caucasian receiver from Texas Tech. There's a mold you gotta fit. <laughs> you know how You know what. <laughs> All right, and so we'll have one final one here. All right, so um, in this hypothetical world, we're going to give you two things, and one of them you can keep, and the other is outlawed harder than the horns down hand signal, all right? You can only throw one of these two things in perpetuity going forward. Underneath crossing routes to ridiculously fast, sure-handed slot receivers or tortillas, which one are you keeping? Ooh, I thought for sure I'd go with the first one. Oh, my goodness, that's tough. (laughs) Um. So I was actually when I was at when we actually brought throwing tortillas back, um, it was gone for a while. Like people yeah. forget, like, it, it, like during the leech years, nobody was throwing tortillas that crazy, right? So mm. people just act like that was a long time thing. It was gone for a while. Um. Oh man, that's tough. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say tortillas. That's fair. That's fair. I'm gonna say tortillas. Yeah, I'm gonna go with that because 
Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna just go with that because I don't even know if Wells is gonna do the underhand under the short throws anymore. So like, you know, I could okay. be giving up one anyway. But I know yeah. no matter what they try to do, we ain't giving up tortillas. And Tech <laughs> Admin has been trying to stop students throwing tortillas for the longest. And the harder they stop, the more tortillas get thrown. And I respect that. <laughs> Good job, new new student. I will never forget. I was I was at the Crabtree game, which again, still I wake up in cold sweats thinking about. And that was the first time I had seen the tortilla throw in person. And it's honestly pretty beautiful to see. Like, it's really, really <laughs> impressive. Like, it's it's kind of one of those things that you shouldn't like, but you're like, I'm really impressed right now. It's kind of like our only football tradition, so I'd rather, like, just keep it. Like, you know? Like, it's not like we have, like, a tradition of, like, 10-win seasons or anything like that. Like, I'd rather just – the only football tradition that we have is the air raid, which, like I said, is going away, really, and tortilla throwing. Let's keep a tortilla throwing. That's like, oh, yeah. Right, we used to have a great entrance that everybody gawked at, but now it's kind of gotten old. So tortillas. I love it. Well, Albie, thank you so much, man. If people want to get more of what you have to say, where can they where can they find you on the internet? So you can find me at Mister underscore Albie Shore, A L B I E S H O R E. Also, don't forget to follow Viva the Matadors. Um, we I get a lot of long. So I'm no longer running the Twitter account because I'm also doing some other things. But I, we did get a lot of. Um, Longhorn fans that were upset at some of the comments that we make before. So it's always fun, like, riling up Longhorn fans. <laughs> so please follow the account so we can troll each other because that is always a great time. Um, follow me so I can so you can troll me as well because I will be saying uh, many times that uh, your quarterback is simply not that good. But <laughs> um, I promise you I'll say it a lot throughout the year. Like, he's not that – I actually had an argument just the other day, but he's not that good. So please follow me – Troll me because I will be trolling you 100%. Fantastic. Um, so, yeah. Oh, and That's... follow at Air Raid Podcast. Sorry, we do have a new Twitter page. At Air Raid Podcast. Um, again, for troll worthy. We'll probably have an episode today, and I will make sure to talk about uh, your quarterback. I'm not even going to say his name. Your quarterback <laughs> being a not that good. Well, not that was That's fantastic, man. Also, also follow at uh, Freezing Cold Tech so you can. You can at the, your, your new follow from the Texas Tech uh, Texas Tech Nation here. Thanks so much for coming on, man. We appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. It's been fun. So the recruit train continues to chug along to close the summer. Uh, a lot of players getting in their commitments before they start their, uh, their fall practice uh, schedule. So Texas picked up three massive commitments on the defensive side of the ball, which is good for this 2020 class because there were, there were some misses. Uh, we talked about it a little bit last week. Texas missed on Chris Thompson, uh, a couple of other guys on the defensive side. So we'll, we'll go in reverse chronological order, I think, because we have to start with the one that happened the day that we're recording. So Texas picked up a huge commitment from one of the last few defensive linemen outstanding on their board, four-star Princely Umana Malin, uh, who is a 6'4", 249-pound defender from Maynard, so keeping the Austin area kid home. He's the number 230 prospect overall, the number 11 defensive end, and the number 37 player in the state of Texas. He is a versatile guy, plays a little inside, currently for uh, Maynard, but he also projects to that similar spot uh, on the outside. He was trending OU and AM. Actually, it's really funny. On the AM message boards, there were people saying that they had inside sources that Princely was heading 
to uh, to College Station that was a legitimate like hour before he committed to the University of Texas, which is just just so sweet to see. Uh, the prince that was promised. I actually hope he told Aggie recruiting people, yeah, I'll be there. Yeah, of course. Yes, yeah, so lock me up. Put me, put it in the message boards just to troll them. Because if he did, uh, way to make yourself a Longhorn legend. The same same way Keandre Coburn did um, by letting OU know who who Daddy is. Um, I. Uh, I I'm excited for this guy. I mean, it, it, it seems like the scheme uh, at first was was a kind of a question for him, and they, they explained that he could play similar to what Malcolm Roach plays at that four-eye and can kind of be um, all over and play a diff- couple different things. And he's long. He's he's uh, relatively quick. He's he's a really good player who I think can develop into like a really, uh, a really kind of critical piece. He has uh, Texas NFL defensive end legacy type uh, frame and talent to him that I think uh, if he builds on it, if he gets the muscle mass on there and, and kind of continues his growth. And, and we know one thing, Giles can coach him up. The question has been, can Giles get them in? Can he recruit? And I think um, this has been a huge summer for Coach Giles. The narrative on him has flipped. Um, and again, whether it's just overreaction, this is consecutive years where, you know, Texas makes this push kind of uh, July to to August and changes the narrative. But Giles obviously bringing in Van Fillinger and then uh, the Vernon Broughton news and now Princely. And, and obviously there's a couple um, big names that it feels like Texas might be in the catbird seat, uh, Alfred Collins or whoever else among them. Um, this just is a good solid, even the three that you have right now um, for, for Giles. It, it, it does... It does help. I'm happy for him. He's, uh, he's like I said, there's never been a doubt that he could coach a kid once he got on campus uh, to the next level. But like I said, getting them in uh, also seems right now not to be a problem. So uh, as excited for a coach as I am for, for the player. Absolutely. I hope he went to the throne room with old bathroom Billy and stabbed him like uh <laughs> like the prince that was promised. Uh, so I, I like Princely a lot. Watching his tape, it looks like what a college-level defensive lineman should do to not college-level offensive lineman. Like, I remember we had a guy on our team that ended up, he uh, played at Arizona, got in some trouble, but he was one of those guys that was like, if he gets his act together, he could he could go far. And I remember watching him pick up a guard and just set him in the backfield to sack the quarterback, and that's basically what Princely does on his huddle film. You should uh, check it out. So uh, after missing on Chris Thompson, Texas was trying to figure out who are they going to get to uh, play the back end of the defense, and sure enough, out of the woodworks, four-star safety Jaron Thompson from Lufkin. Place Texas doesn't get a ton of talent from. Uh, six foot and a half inch, right above that six foot line, 183 pounds. He is a big, big hitter, the number 34 player in the state of Texas. Had about a three-week lag time between offer and commitment, which is just impressive uh, that Texas was able to slow play him offer him when it felt right and he was still on uh, on the board and in the bag for Texas. Yeah, and, and going up against Jeff Trailer who who kind of is the East Texas kingmaker out there and and did a lot for for the Texas class uh, and kind of the hashtag Beast Texas movement when he came on staff, but he's now at Arkansas and it did seem like then it may have been uh, Arkansas's to lose, but again, the the allure of the burnt orange is very very strong. There's there's good um, there's good offers that you can mull over, and then when you get the Texas offer, sometimes things just uh, crystallize really quickly. But I think um, a, a really good player, a, a big hitter, um, you know, number 34 player in Texas, just a guy who uh, dominates out in his 
conference. Um, kind of a, a a a classic safety mold of um, he's not in a, he could probably project to the to the nickelback or or kind of drop back a little in coverage, but you want him uh, put putting the the wood on folks over the middle wherever he is. Um, so I think I think a really good addition and and uh, again um, just helps this class shore up any any areas where coaches say you know we need to fill this i'm I'm glad we have the pull to say that's the guy that's the piece and cut and paste he looks like a a mix of the two guys that are currently playing safety for texas where he does a really good job like playing the middle part of the field playing that that center fielder role but then we'll also just be like well i didn't break up the pass so i'm just gonna break you into little pieces like that's Mm -hmm. what i really like about his game uh incredible closing speed incredible eyes and vision uh which the same thing can be said for the next guy the first guy that kicked off this wave of defenders uh four-star cornerback ethan pouncey uh who was Trending in every direction but Texas currently. Um, 6'1", 160 pounds from Winter Park, Florida. Uh, The younger brother of current Texas Longhorn, Jordan Pouncey, which is just... Get the get those guys with legacies in, which I'm just really really appreciating uh, the yeah. kind of players that Texas is bringing in right now. Because Pouncey is not just a good defender; he's he's thinking fast. Yeah, in 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 a guy who it's not that it wasn't uh, a Texas lock, but there were some other schools who I think thought maybe they could sneak in there and, and get him even with uh, Jordan being on the roster. But uh, a guy who. A guy who, in his tape, again, just breaks on balls and he's gone. He takes it to the house. He's quick. He just seems to be, you know, lightning fast kind of when he makes that decision. He's the type of guy who can, in high school, let guys beat him to bait a quarterback into throwing, like let them have a couple yards. And then all of a sudden the quarterback makes the throw and it's like, where did that seven yards go? He's now, we're seeing the back of his jersey, which I love. Six one, good tall um, frame for a corner that, again, I'd love to see Yancey um, build out on. So I, I really think... Uh, I really think just another great addition to the class. And, and what this did actually was bump Texas all the way up to the number six class in the country as it stands <laughs> while still <sighs> while still holding a 93.1 average rating. Again, there's only Clemson, Alabama, Texas, and Georgia that have above 93, uh, according to 247. So um, there's salty folks all over. There's salty folks up to the north in uh, in Norman. There's There's abundance of salt. Uh, in College Station. Uh, remember, we've been saying next year's class, the 2021 class, truly looks special. Guys, newsflash, it looks like this one could be pretty darn special <laughs> to uh, another top three class right in Tom Herman's Big Game Hunter site. So uh, things are things are feeling very, very good in the recruiting sphere. I remember at the start of the summer where we were like, I don't know about this class because Texags was very happy to point out that Texas was like struck kind of struggling or sitting at like 34 nationally. And then at the start of football season, I think when we look back at this class, which is probably going to once again, be a top three class with the guys that are still on the board that Texas will probably pick up or could potentially pick up. Like, this is what we're going to look at. Like, yep, Mm -hmm. that's that six weeks from like the middle of July to the middle of August. Like that's going to be where this class was made. And, And I think, that to me is just impressive of how this staff has been able to close the the biggest probably hotbed of recruiting before 
national signing day and that that national signing period in December. Yeah, it's uh, this. We run this state. There's no doubt about it. We run this conference right now, and that's that's a good thing. And and like I said, the, if it's not this year, then by next year we will run this country with the number one recruiting class. Hot takes. You heard it here first. The staff knows how to get the kids and winning. You know, ten plus games this year will do nothing but help. Natty or bust. Now's the time where we give some shine to the sports that don't necessarily get as much shine. Where we down the forty. So this is a sport that gets a ton of shine, but we have to, have to, have to take a moment and talk about it. Andrew Jones has been fully and officially yeah. cleared for all basketball activity. Praise whoever you choose to praise. Like that is incredible. Um, just big ups to a guy who um, saw a NF or NBA career um, kind of shelved be- for a just out of left field diagnosis, and now he's able to come back and play fully after participating in a few games this last season, uh, but had to step away from the team for another round of treatments. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's. It's fantastic. This is the stuff. This is why sports is good. This is the good part. Makes you feel good. He only played two games last year, and we called that a victory. We said, wow, the kid came back, and he got to be with the team, and he played two games, you know, on the other side of leukemia. Like, it's unbelievable. But uh, the fact that he's going to be out there playing the talent that we know he had and has uh, is going to get to be on full display again, Amir. Um, year and some change after after wondering what what happens with his life it's just man it's so much bigger than sports but it's just it is the part of sports that I love and and shout outs to uh, MD Anderson and and we we do know we we sponsor a section of this uh, segment for Joe Ruiz who's a doctor out there at MD Anderson and just um, shout out to all the doctors that listen to this podcast all the medical professionals your your heroes keep doing the good work so we get to celebrate success stories uh whatever your field so i feel good saying that i was going to mention this later but you brought it up Uh, i was in chicago for work and as you drive in to o'hare on the uh departures level i was like i recognize the guy on that that uh that billboard it's none other than texas alum and nobel laureate jim allison uh who is one of the patriot saints of this podcast talking about how um texas is or not texas but the work that they do at md anderson is going to beat cancer which is uh just incredible so hook them to all of the impressive people that do way more important things than what you and i do each and every week uh women's basketball has hired a new assistant coach terry nooner joining the staff after tiffany jackson uh made her uh leave from the the staff just a couple of weeks ago so uh glad to see him soccer all Big 12 preseason lists. The Longhorns boast four players. Got uh, Emma Regan, Haley Berg, Julia Grosso, and Sierra Hinson making the list. And then golf has five competing in the U.S. Amateur at Pinehurst, uh, which is coming up. It actually teed off this morning as we record it. will continue through Thursday if you make the cut. Uh, Cole Hammer, Parker Cootie, uh, Pearson Cootie, Will Thompson, and Travis Vick all playing and suiting up for the Longhorns. Uh, there's talent all over the 40 acres. Uh, I, I had nothing to add except I'm looking forward to watching all of those people you mentioned and more uh, play. It's more than just football season coming up. We're getting close to fall season volleyball. I mean, this is there's there's some there's some uh, Texas dominance that's about to happen all over uh, the conference and country in a few short weeks. 
Yeah, volleyball and, and soccer are both on campus practicing right now. I think volleyball kicks off like next week, I think, which is just absolutely nuts and excited for it. But now is the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? So we, we did already kind of tie back. We, we called back to the Joe Ruiz call out, and then I'll call back to a callback, which we did a couple weeks ago about one of our original sponsors in, uh, of the podcast, My Bookie. Um, we told you, folks, go ahead and do a little money. It's, if that is your thing, if, if you choose to do such events, uh, LSU Texas, Texas was a home dog. Uh, so they were a touchdown underdog. Um, that. If you didn't get your bet in, folks, I apologize. That line has moved to even, uh, which is probably a little closer to where this is. But again, I would take even money. Um, go ahead and do it. Uh, I'm not going to you know, sit here and predict. I'm not going to waste the content, guys. You just have to tune in a couple weeks for the preview before that. But I'm feeling good about what's going to happen in that game. And that game itself will also... Um, basically, it hasn't been announced yet, but it's it's effectively the equivalent of a Carrington shush emoji right now that um, there may be some, some guests in town uh, for that game. It is the biggest game in the country. Would you that say they're no- coming to Yosite? <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, the, the, the biggest game in the country that week, no question about it, hands down, not even close, um, will be... UT versus LSU, and typically for the biggest game of the week, a certain crew comes uh, onto a college campus or if it's neutral site and hosts a little pregame show. I'll let you fill in the blanks. Uh, I'll just say the last time that particular show was in Austin was September 19, 2009, when uh, Texas hosted uh, our interviewee's uh, alma mater. The Texas Tech Red Raiders came to Austin. Um, Texas prevailed in that game 34-24 um, with a classic Colt McCoy do enough to make sure get the W. Jordan Shipley had uh, 73 yards and a punt return touchdown in that one, which Texas uh, Texas won. Texas had a good season that year. That was the Rose Bowl season. So um, maybe some omens, guys, but I'm just saying uh, there have been multiple uh, times at the, the Red River Showdown at the Cotton Bowl since then, but this will be the first time in a decade that, ah, I'll just say it, our friends, Kurt, I, I will say no more, our friends from one of the major networks on one of the premier shows uh, will be announced very shortly uh, as being on the 40 Acres. And if you're a student or if you've just in the area you're going to be in for the game embrace it drink it all up do the whole experience make a clever sign go out there early get in the crowd do the whole thing man it's it's going to be an electric atmosphere even if you can't get tickets to the game go be around the stadium tailgate uh just be there it's going to be awesome for those of you that maybe haven't been with the podcast since the beginning joe ruiz got his name in the podcast because he had a game day sign Mm -hmm. just do it that's that's how you do it. He took a picture with aforementioned Nobel laureate who happens to just be his co-worker because, again, those two men are incredible. Uh, so my bang the drum this week. Uh, so the University of Texas has um, – has continued to make and prioritize the football game day experience for years and years and years. I had to make excuses for the Texas game day atmosphere. 
people would talk about how Austin wasn't an intimidating place to play and blah, 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 blah. Well, all of that is out the window. This week, they announced that they were lowering the already low prices at the concession stands and they announced the first three sessions of Longhorn City Limits. Jack Ingram for Louisiana Tech, Midland for LSU, and then the Gin Blossoms for Oklahoma State. And all of this is for one purpose, and that's to create a game day environment that generates some revenue and generates some buzz. And I, I put this out there on Twitter, but you cannot overstate how much more desirable a Texas football game is to go to when I can feed three kids for 20 bucks. Mm -hmm. Like I can buy a ticket and take multiple children with me to a game and have a good time and feed all my kids for less than I'm more likely to spend a couple of hundred bucks on tickets. If I don't have to spend a couple of hundred bucks at the concession stands, like that makes it so much easier. And you know what? I'll probably go back a couple of extra times too. I'll be like, oh, that pretzel was only three bucks. I can get another one. Oh, you want you want nachos and a hot dog, little Timmy? We can do that, right? So it's like the the strides that they're taking to really make this a destination is incredible. Like the game day environment that this school deserves is exactly what's happening, and. It's showing in the numbers. Uh, you, I believe it was USA Today uh, released their top earning schools for the 2017-2018 fiscal year. And surprise, surprise, the University of Texas was at the top with $219 million. $7 million ahead of our little brother in College Station, Texas A&M, who came in at number two. So it's working. Not only is it working for the game day experience that you all saw a year ago, but it's working for the bottom line, which when you got both of those in play, there's no argument to make that this is the right move. Oh, yeah. And uh, I, I mean, I, I hadn't necessarily planned to make it down for the Oklahoma State game, but I mean, maybe, Gerald, you and I should go and I will uh, I will follow you down uh, to the um, to that game to watch the gin blossoms, because uh, that's that's perfect and fantastic i'm ready for some 90s alternative uh little pre-game uh appetizer um and also you know just uh a little hey jealousy for the folks who who go to their concession stand and can't get a five dollar earl campbell sausage wrap i'm excited man i it, I'm, i will be in dkr in a couple weeks and uh it's gonna be awesome I'd follow you down, but but not that far, Kyle. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me at Kyle Carpenter on Twitter. Again, you can find me tweeting at Freezing Cold Takes about our uh, Texas Tech's guest Sam Ellinger takes. Boy, you talk about hot takes. That's a frozen, icy tundra of a take. I cannot wait to remind him of that on Twitter. So give him a follow. Wait till Sam does it, which shouldn't take long. Um, and then just, you know, tweet him a reminder about his prediction uh, and also CC freezing cold takes. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod, who has been tagged in freezing cold takes before. Hashtag Brexit part two. You can also <laughs> choose an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. If you got an opinion, Use the hashtag replies of Texas on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. You can also connect with us on Facebook. We are the Longhorn Republic there. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them and get ready. Point Texas. Texas.